You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Take our God gives. Our God is a giving God. In First Peter one verse three, He says He's given us everything for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. God has given us everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ Jesus. It's sad that we are willing to try almost everything except the knowledge of Him. We will try everything. We will go down the list. We trust in schemes and plans of men instead of the knowledge of Him. We'll try knowing ourselves instead of the knowledge of Him. The people of Israel were facing problems instead of seeking the Lord's direction. They demanded God give them what they thought they wanted. Today, Pastor Dave will teach how they rejected the giving, loving, and powerful God to seek after a worldly king. God was the right one to guide them, fight for them, and protect them. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8 as he continues his message, Changing Times. He draws water and then he goes to each of the disciples and he washes their feet. He washes their feet. I'll tell you, there's no greater picture of servant than that. No greater picture of servanthood than that. The creator of the universe. Can you imagine? I know why Peter jumped up and said, no way, you can't do that to me. There's no way. There's no way. He said, well, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part of me. Then wash me all over, every place. No, just your feet, because they seem to touch the world. That's all we need to take care of. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that sitting there? You've just experienced this beautiful, glorious, spirit-filled supper where Jesus says, take the, the bread. This is my body. Take the cup. This is my blood. He just went through that whole thing. Judas is still there. Take it. And they're there. And he starts to wash their feet. He's on his hands and knees before them, and he's washing their feet. They didn't have fine shoes back then. They didn't have socks. Most of them probably didn't have shoes. If they had shoes, they were some sort of open sandal. And they walked everywhere they went, or they rode a mule or donkey. The dust on the road and all that in there, oh, they didn't bathe like we bathe. Can you imagine? The creator of the universe. What a powerful, powerful picture. Jesus says, I didn't come for you to serve me. I've come to serve you. I've come to serve you. Then what did he tell the disciples after he did that? He told them to go and do likewise. Go and serve one another. Go and serve one another with that kind of love, with that kind of passion. Oh. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Paul paints this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ in Philippians 2. 
this gorgeous picture of Jesus Christ, the servant, when he said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and can be obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. No, you have to serve a human king. But Christ wants to serve you. And he did so on a cross. When he hung there and died, taking your sin, my sin, sin of the world upon himself, and freeing every man who would accept him by faith. There are consequences for every decision we make. There are some good consequences and there are some bad consequences. And in verse 18, we see the culmination of these consequences. The culmination of the consequences of what God is telling Israel. In verse 18, it says, And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Wow. Those are some pretty tough consequences. God was saying, how badly do you want this king? What's it worth to you? What's it worth to you to take this king? Problem was that Israel was not in a spiritual way at that time. They wanted a king for unspiritual reasons, ungodly reasons. So God will come this coming king, your king, and make it clear that he's going to be the king that you've chosen. I love that. The king that you've chosen. God takes all the ownership and says, wait a minute, you're choosing this king, not me. You wanted a king, not I. It's your choice, children. As a parent, you probably have been in that situation with your kids from time to time. You have a choice to make. If Israel had waited for God's king, they would have not had to cry out to him. So we finish the chapter. Israel has made its choice. They want a king. In fact, they demanded a king. They demanded a king. Let's look at verses 19 through 22. Nevertheless, anytime you see that, nevertheless, it's never good. There's always something really bad after that. Every time you see nevertheless, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out for Boris and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice, make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man, go to a city. It appears right before verse 19 that Israel still had a chance to change their mind. Israel still had a chance to change their mind and come back to God and say, okay. But they didn't. They did not. In verse 21, we see that Samuel went back to the Lord and told him everything that transpired. He rehearsed it in front of God. And I love that. He rehearsed it in front of God. Why would he do that? You're probably thinking, well, if he's God, didn't he know what they said? Didn't he know what was going on? I think that Samuel thought God needed to hear it from him. But in my heart, I really think Samuel was hurting and he just wanted to spend some time with God. He just wanted to go back to his creator. Oh, how often we need to spend time with our creator. 
How often when we've been disappointed, when things are really low in our hearts and, and people disappoint us and things disappoint us, oh, how much we need to go back and rehearse it with God. I love that about David's Psalms. David's always rehearsing these things with God. But God, they hate me. But God, the Lord, they want to kill me. They're, they're attacking me from all sides. My family, my kids, everybody. I don't know where to go. I hide in caves. They find me. I go here. I go there. They're always after me, God. But you're so loving. And you're so wonderful. Oh, God, how I love to praise you and how I love to worship you. And he goes on and on. He starts out like he's complaining. He starts out with all these things and always, ends up always saying like that. But I lived in Ocean City. My prayer, my prayer closet was the beach. And I used to love to go up there to the beach all alone, me and, and this, we had another dog. And I'm praising the Lord and I'm giving him thanks and I'm telling him what a wonderful father he is, what a wonderful God he is, and I'm thanking him for salvation. I'm just praising him. I'm singing out loud all these songs that I know and I'm having a great time. I have no idea what time passed. And all of a sudden I realized, I went like this, I went, reached in, grabbed the prayer sheet and just ripped it up. Throw it away. It didn't matter. Not that, not that I'm putting down prayer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying prayer is not important. I'm not saying that. But when you spend time with the Lord like that, when you draw close to him and you feel that embrace as he reaches out and he draws you to himself, oh, man, that's special. That's special. And, and, and he just loves on you. And he just loves on you. And all you can do is cry and say, oh, I love you. What a great thing it is, you know. And, and we go out, we have these prayer things that we need. And I'm not, again, minimizing anybody's need because prayer gets answered. We need those prayers. But, but we need to spend time with him. We need to spend time with him. Just you and he. Nobody else, no prayer list, no nothing. Just you and he. Just sitting there, walking, whatever you do. One of the greatest times I ever had was those people used to tell me, I used to drive back and forth from Violin to Wildwood every single day, back and forth, because I taught at Wildwood High School, and I, worked, I lived in Violin. And I would drive back and forth every single day. I had the best time of my life. I had the best time of my life, because if I wasn't singing praises to them, I was listening to great teaching, I, I had a ball. I loved those hours. And they, would, they went by so fast, because it was spending time with the Lord. It was so wonderful. Just me and the Lord, nobody else in the car. It was great. It was really incredible. And that's what Samuel's doing. Samuel's going back to the Lord and saying, it's almost like he says, okay, I, I know you know this. I know you know what's happening, but, but let, let's just let me tell you, and, and can I just kind of hang out with you for a while? Can I just be with you for a while? What kind of father's going to say no? What kind of father's going to say no, you, you can't be with me when, when, a, when a child comes up and wants to crawl into his lap? That's what God wants you to do. God just wants you to crawl into his lap sometimes. He just wants you to crawl into his lap and just kind of sit there and cuddle and just kind of, ah. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Samuel wanted to be with God. Sometimes we tell our children the consequences of the action they may be thinking about or even doing, and then they do it anyway. And when they do this, we need to spend time with our Lord. We need to spend time with him. I wrote this down because I, sometimes I want to go to God and have him go, oh, poor baby. <laughs> I need that every now and then. I need that every now and then for my God. Poor baby. So God gives Israel a king. We're going to find out his name is Saul. Later, after their king Saul fails, 
God will give Israel his king. And remember, we talked about him, that rugged little shepherd boy, still growing up. Because God knew ultimately that Israel needed a monarchy. It's very plausible. Let me throw this out. Not scriptural. Things worked out in God's plan. But it's plausible. If Israel had said no to a king at this time, God would have made David the first king of Israel. It's plausible. Not scriptural, but it's plausible. Saul is coming. We're going to talk about Saul. And he was spared the nation of all the trouble that Saul caused them. Saul is going to cause them an enormous amount of trouble. An enormous amount of trouble. And they're going to pay dearly for him. And demanding your own way can be very dangerous with the Lord. And when we demand our own way from the Lord, it really reveals our heart. It really reveals what's in our heart. They want it to be like other nations. They want it to be like everybody else. Being like everybody else is wrong, folks. Being like the world is wrong. Whether it be the church or whether it be individual. God wanted them to be a special treasure. He wanted his people to be a special treasure to him. He wanted them, according to Exodus 19.6, he wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. He wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. God wanted to make Israel something special, and they wanted to be just like everybody else. God had such plans for them, such wonderful plans, and he's not done with them. By all means, he's not done with Israel. No, no, no. If you know your eschatology, those last seven years, God will deal with the nation of Israel. God will deal with them in his own way. He hasn't forgotten his children. The apple of his eye, he has not forgotten them. God had something special for them. One of the commentators I read said, Woe, full stupidity, whereas it was their glory and happiness that they were unlike all other nations. Did you hear that? Woeful stupidity, he calls it. Whereas it was their glory, Israel's glory and happiness, that they were unlike other nations. Our happiness and our glory is that we are not like other people. We're not like the world. That should be a badge of honor for us. We should not assimilate to the world. We should not do that. The Lord wanted to be their only and immediately king and lawgiver. The Lord wanted that. They wanted their king to judge them, and they wanted their king to fight the battles for them. Why? Name a battle the Lord hasn't won. Anytime they trusted in the Lord, they were victorious, weren't they? Read through Joshua. Every time we read through Joshua, when they trusted in the Lord, they were victorious. Even when we read in 1 Samuel. God had just won this spectacular battle for them in in chapter 7. He won this major victory. They got all their five cities back. They got the ark back. They got everything they wanted back. God had won this beautiful battle. It's wild. They had a king. It was the Lord God. What they wanted was the image of a king. They thought in their mind that they needed this person on a throne when God never left the throne. God is sitting there today. Their desire was for a king, was really to desire who someone to look in their own eyes. They wouldn't look at God. They wanted to be able to look in the eyes of a king. Well, think about it, folks. Not many people are allowed to look into the eyes of a king. They're not allowed to look in the eyes. You better not meet eyeball to eyeball with the king. You might be losing a head. They had their ideas of what a king should look like. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice, make them a king. 
In a sense, it's almost funny. They're rejecting God's rule, and they can't escape it because God will appoint their king. (laughs) God's never going to step off his throne, even when we ask him to. God will not step off his throne. If we resist the rule of God, we will find that we do not benefit from it in any way or shape or form. When we resist God, we only hurt ourselves. When we resist God, we only hurt ourselves. God has asked us to obey him. He's asked us to seek him with our whole hearts. He's asked us to love him above all others. Above everything else in our life, God has asked us to love him first. God has made a covenant with us. He's made a covenant with us, and he used the blood of his precious son as a sign of that covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant, Jesus said at the Last Supper. When we obey God's covenant, we will have a life of joy as the Lord supplies all your needs, because God is a giving God. Kings, take our God gives. Our God is a giving God. In First Peter 1, verse 3, he says he's given us everything for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. God has given us everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ Jesus. It's sad that we are willing to try almost everything except the knowledge of him. We will try everything. We will go down the list. We trust in schemes and plans of men instead of the knowledge of him. We'll try knowing ourselves instead of the knowledge of him. In fact, somebody once said that to me. I'll accept Christ when I know myself first. I said, you'll never accept Christ if you know yourself. We need to come to the same place the Apostle Paul did. This verse in Philippians 3. The Apostle Paul came to this point. The Apostle Paul knew it. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, Paul had just got finished giving his resume to the Philippian church, you know, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, you know, the whole thing. He, uh, Pharisee of the Pharisees, blameless when it came to the law. He was given this, this resume, so to speak. And in verse 7, he says this wonderful thing. I just love it. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Hear that? The excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Paul said, everything else I count as lost. Everything else I count as dung. I count as refuge. It's meaningless to me. How excellent is the knowledge of Christ in your life? He says, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord. He said, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Count all those things as filthy rubbish that I might gain Christ. Not only that I might gain him, but he says in verse 9, and be found in him. To be found in Christ. This was Paul's one game that he wanted more than anything. To be found in Christ. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know him. That's all Paul wanted to do, was to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to grow in the knowledge of him. Paul says, that I may know him. I want the power of his resurrection. Everybody goes, yeah, power of his resurrection. Read on. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh-uh. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What a heart. Paul says, all I want to do is know him. And you might look at Paul and go, what do you mean know him? You preach the gospel. You know more of Jesus than we ever know. Paul never could get enough. 
Paul wanted to know him more and more and more and more. I feel the same way. I never get enough of him. I want to know him more. Pour out your spirit upon me more. I want to see more. I want to know more. I'm greedy when it comes to you, Lord. I want more of you in my life. I want to see you in many ways. I want to see what you're going to do in this church, what you're going to do around us. What are you going to do, Lord? I'm so anxious to see what you will do. I want to know you. And the only way we're going to find out what he's going to do is if we know him, if we gather close to him. Everybody wants the power of his resurrection, and we're all going to jump around and go, yay, but there is the fellowship of his suffering. All those who are entered the kingdom of God will suffer. Scripture. We will suffer. There will be suffering. Praise God. Peter calls it for a little while. I like that. Paul calls it light and momentary. Light and momentary. I like that. I like that. God can certainly give us what we ask for. He's a God who likes to give his children what they ask for. James says we have not because we ask not. But then when we ask, we ask amiss. What does he mean by asking amiss? Well, I usually ask for my glory. Lord, give me the power of healing so I can have a healing ministry. I can walk around going, well, that's what I would do. That's what I would do. You know, I'd set up a big thing. I'd get a gold suit. You know, I, I, flashing everything. I mean, come on. We ask amiss. God wants to give us so much, but we ask for it amiss because we want our own glory. We want, want, want our own power. We want, want people to see me, not about me. We ask for things that we should not have. And when we are stubborn about it, when we dig our heels in, sometimes God lets us have it. And that's what happened to the nation Israel. They dug their heels in. They wanted specific things. They wanted a king. Doesn't God know what will make you happy? Doesn't God know all the things that are going to make you giddy and happy and pleasing? I think we should go to the Lord in prayer and present a request to him. I really do. But always remember the words of Jesus in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. There's an old adage that I found that says this, quote, God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. I like that. God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. In chapter 9, we're going to meet the new king. His father's name is Kish. He's a Benjamite. And his name is Saul. We're going to meet him for the first time. Supposedly, he's one of the best-looking men in Israel. And he's very tall. So, naturally, Israel would want him as a king. They wanted someone pleasing. They wanted someone who was quite the opposite of young David. When David comes on the scene. So read ahead to chapter 9. Read ahead to chapter 9 and see what the Lord would say to you. You We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.